Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. With the New Books Network, this is New Books in Latin American Studies. I'm your host, Keith Simmons. Despite remaining ideological foes for the past 60 years, the United States and Cuba decided to finally normalize relations in December 2014. Among some of the details of these negotiations were that they occurred in Canada and that the Vatican, principally Pope Francis, were some of the individuals responsible for bringing about this change in relations. However, a new book published by William Leo Grand and Peter Kornbluth argue that, in fact, the United States and Cuba have maintained secret diplomatic negotiations throughout the Cold War. They also argue that, in some instances, these negotiations were certainly crucial in reducing tensions between both sides as well as ultimately preventing the Cold War in Latin America from becoming any hotter. William Leo Grand graciously offered to join New Books Network for an interview. William, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, I wonder if you could just start off by telling us um, how you became interested in uh, U.S.-Latin American relations and in international politics. Well, I was in graduate school at Syracuse University in upstate New York and uh, taking courses in a variety of different areas of the world. And Latin America I found particularly fascinating because so much of politics in Latin America was very much conditioned on the country's relationship with the United States. The United States was such a dominant force in the region. Uh, And I found that interaction uh, really interesting and, and really compelling. And, of course, Cuba was a place where that interaction had brought us to the brink of nuclear war in 1962. And so I was attracted to the whole nexus of U.S.-Cuban relations. And it seems really interesting that um, you and Peter stumbled on this particular subsection, I think, of of U.S.-Cuban relations. How exactly did you come across it? Well, you know, the history of conflict between Cuba and the United States is is very well known. Uh, The break in relations in 1961, the Bay of Pigs invasion, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the U.S. embargo, and all the conflicts that have happened uh, ever since, the various migration crises and so on. But um, we knew that there had been moments when Cuba and the United States had come close to normalizing relations. And we thought that that was an important story that had not really been told, that uh, everybody knew about the public conflict and confrontation, but there was very little public awareness of the diplomatic efforts between the two countries, mostly because they had been conducted in secret over the years. So we began to look into this. We, uh, We knew from documents that had already been declassified that President Kennedy had made an initial outreach to Cuba that uh, Henry Kissinger had done the same. And um, then, of course, that Jimmy Carter made a a major effort to try to normalize the relationship. 
But as we dug into the history, we realized that every president since Eisenhower had talked to the Cubans about something. It wasn't always about trying to normalize relations. Sometimes it was about much narrower issues of mutual interest between the two countries. But over the years, over a dozen agreements have been signed between Cuba and the United States. And we thought that was a fascinating story that people didn't know, and so we decided to write it. And it also seems very pertinent when we think about how um, conservatives and, and individuals who are considered hawks uh, when it comes to foreign affairs um, suggest that we shouldn't talk with uh, countries like Iran or even um, like Cuba uh, right now because there are certain conditions that have not been met. But when you look at individuals who are hardliners um, like Nixon and, and like Ronald Reagan, uh, there seems to be a necessity to communicate with Cuba, even if it is with things just as simple as an agreement. Well, that's exactly right. I think uh, both, both Nixon uh, and Reagan were very hostile towards Cuba. Nixon in particular really disliked Fidel Castro from the meeting that they had in April 1959. Um, and yet both presidents were sort of pulled into a dialogue with Cuba because there were issues that could not be solved by the United States alone. We needed Cuba's cooperation. So in the Nixon administration, it was to stop airline hijackings, uh, which had become almost routine. And during the Reagan years, it was to solve first the migration issues between the two countries, and then later uh, getting a peace agreement that led to the removal of Cuban troops from Angola. And I think before we really start to dive into the characteristics of these presidents, because that's certainly one of the most interesting um, dynamics of the book, is how um, the mood seems to change between presidents, uh, despite Fidel being a constant um, in terms of the head of state in Cuba. Uh, I wonder if we could just talk about um, the research process for a moment. Um, Peter Kornbluth, who is the co-author of this book, um, works for the National Security Archive um, and for the Cuba Documentation Project. So um, it seems as though he had a really kind of interesting um, insight into special documents that was necessary for this project. Yes, he's been working on getting U.S. documents about Cuba declassified for almost 20 years. And so uh, he's a real specialist uh, when it comes to that. And uh, he, he's an expert in how to file Freedom of Information Act requests. And he was uh, really the prime mover when it came to identifying, locating uh, declassified documents and really staying on top of the declassification process so that when a new batch of documents was declassified, we knew about it and we were able to take advantage of it right away. The other thing that we were able to do uh, to complement the documents that, that we located was to interview uh, U.S. and Cuban negotiators who engaged in a lot of this dialogue. Uh, most of them were very open and forthcoming, uh, being willing to talk to us and sort of give us their idea or their sense of what it was like to sit across the table from one another and engage these issues. What was, what was some of the uh, general reaction that you got from individuals that you interviewed? Uh, were they... Were they excited to, to talk about it? Were they a little bit apprehensive? No, we didn't find anybody that was reluctant to, uh, to talk about it, which uh, surprised us a little bit. Um, 
both the Cuban and the U.S. diplomats, most of whom are retired by now, but not all of them, uh, were quite willing to, to talk about uh, their role in this secret history. And I think because it was so secret, uh, many of them really wanted to get it on the record so that uh, what had happened wouldn't be, wouldn't be lost to time. Um, and so we just had very, very good luck in that regard. And um, we were also, in, in some cases, able to sort of tell one negotiator on one side what the other negotiator had said about a meeting. And, and uh, sometimes they were a little bit surprised at how the other side had interpreted what had happened. And I think that that's part of what makes the book really intriguing um, in the sense of both sides needing to uh, communicate to one another. And so um, I guess if we start to dive into the book itself, uh, one of the interesting sections is uh, the very beginning when Castro initially comes to power. 